Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy to welcome you on campus. And those of you watching online, thank you for that. It's great to see all of you, especially some of you who haven't come back yet from COVID, and now you're coming back, and thank you, and we're so glad that you are here. We're in a series, as you know, called Transformation. And the series is really about trying to connect dots to comprehend and understand what God is doing in our life. Uh, He's doing something. I've told you, you're not an accident, you're an incident. He just didn't look down from heaven one day and find you and scratch his head and say, what am I going to do with that one? I mean, God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, and it begins with connecting with him as your savior. That's not your religion. It is your relationship to God, whether you're in church or out of church, never go to church again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So salvation, a connection to the creator, is not a religion. It is a relationship with Christ. And so that's where it begins. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Well, life begins with a birth. So this spiritual life you and I are engaged in starts with a birth, and throughout our lifetime, God is in the process of conforming or transforming us uh, more into the image of his son. He wants us to look like our heavenly father and act like our heavenly father. That's why when he calls us collectively the church, uh, it is the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, if the church is the body of Christ, it should look like him and it should act like him. We should do what he did. And so uh, the world is looking for a little bit of who he is. And I've told you before, your life may be the only Bible someone reads. The only picture of Jesus someone may ever see is what they see in you. Now, sometimes we are good examples of good examples, and sometimes we are good examples of bad examples, but we're all examples of Christ. And so I'm just suggesting to your heart that you and I are in a process this morning. Uh, You may be in a good place this morning or not so good place. You, You may be dealing with something today that even your closest friend is not aware of. I just want you to know it's not an accident you're in the room. It's not an accident you're watching. God has brought you here by divine design to help you learn to connect a few dots to know he hasn't forgotten you. God is intentional, he is purposeful, he is at work in your life, and the process is called transformation. Transformation. Now, each weekend to set the series sermon up, we talk about the text of the sermon, or the text of the series is Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, don't do this anymore. Don't be any longer conformed into the pattern of the world. That's your default settings, my default settings. It's where God found us and where he's trying to move us from. I still have those default settings, and you have those default settings. I've told you before, if you could roll a joint before you met Jesus, you can still roll a joint. (laughs) That just didn't go away. And so we have those default settings. They're all there. They're all in our life. It's, It's the system. The confirmation of the world means to be conformed to a system that does not include God in its thinking. That's all secularism is. It's just a system that doesn't consider God. It's my default, your default. If you aren't careful, you'll live your life without really engaging God or involving God or praying to him. And so that's the natural flow. If you aren't proactive and you aren't intentional in transformation, you'll naturally go back to the default setting. Paul said, don't do that anymore. Don't be conformed. Instead, 
Be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Begins with how you think. I've told you before, you and I came into this world head first, and every dimension and every change in your life will begin with your mind. It will go with your head. You're here first because you first thought yourself here. You'll go where you go when you leave here because you first think yourself there. So every change in life begins with mind, and it begins, this transformation is a process that happens in my mind and in my heart. And as we've said, the word transformation means metamorphosize, metamorph, to, to, to uh, be transformed. Uh, in fact, uh, the biological idea of metamorphosis is the caterpillar into the cocoon that emerges as the butterfly. And that's the word Paul uses. He said, you and I, when we first meet the creator, or much like the caterpillar, and we go through a series of things in our life that a process, if you will, transformation, so that we emerge from the cocoon as the person God has created us to be. Uh, the Imago Dei, the original design, the image of God. Someone sees who he is in me. Someone sees who he is in you. It is a process. By the way, it's a process, as I've told you before, that involves some pain. Uh, it involves a struggle. When that butterfly begins to emerge from the cocoon, it's the struggle. And a biologist will tell you that it, it, it's the struggle that strengthens the butterfly. You try to open that cocoon and assist the butterfly, you, you keep the butterfly from having the strength that it needs to live its life. God will sometimes step back and allow us to struggle because there's strength in our struggles. It's not that he couldn't prevent it, it's that there's a purpose in the pain and it is to make us stronger. One of the values that we talked about uh, one weekend was this idea of endurance, perseverance. And what I found in my life, and I've shared this with you before, but there's one of two things that will happen in the struggle and in the pain of life. One of two things will happen. Either God will remove it from you, and he does that sometimes, or he will give you the strength to carry it and the strength to endure it. And there's strength in the struggle. So the butterfly. And then we use the second verse each weekend to set up the message of 2 Corinthians 3.18. How do I measure this, right? If I have a goal, it will only be attainable if I can measure it. How am I doing? Am I getting farther or closer to it? So the way whereby you measure the goal is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul said with a clear face, clear-eyed, unveiled face, I can look at my life as looking into a mirror. And what I'm seeing reflected back at me is the glory of God. Now let me explain that because that's Christianese. The glory is defined, the word glory can be defined simply as everything God is. So everything that he is is glorious. So what Paul was saying is what I'm seeing reflected in that image is a little bit of who God is. And it's the process, he says, by trans, I'm being transformed into the same image. And notice the phrasing of this, glory by glory, right? You aren't born full grown. You aren't spiritually born full grown. It's glory by glory, step by step, first, second, third grade. You take these steps, little by little, God is transforming us. And so what I'm saying is you and I should be able to look into our life and see a little bit of who he is. Um, someone who knows you best and loves you the most ought to be able to say, I'm seeing a change in your life, a good change. And you say, well, Bill, what are some biblical markers that can help me measure the change. That I, when I look into this mirror, and then we go to the third verse that we share each weekend, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, is love and joy, uh, peace and patience. It is kindness. It is goodness, as we talked about last week, and this week it is faithfulness. 
So when you begin to string that together and you look into the mirror that is your life, are you seeing any of those qualities there? Are you seeing any of those things that are being uh, realized in your life? And I said this morning, uh, the, the dynamic I want to talk to you about is the power of, of kindness, this transforming kindness. Now, uh, I'm sorry, faithfulness. Uh, and, and the reality of it is there's a difference between faith and faithfulness. Let me just stop long enough to tell you that. A difference between faith and faithfulness. Faith is something that happens on the inside. Uh, faith is belief. You receive Christ by exercising your faith, your belief. Grace, for by grace are you saved, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So picture this in your head. See God's hand extended toward you, that's grace. But when your hand reaches up toward him, that's faith. So when my faith touches his grace, I become a Christian. I receive him into my life. So that's faith. Faith, that's different than faithfulness, it's faith. Faithfulness is behavior. Faith is belief. Faithfulness is behavior. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Now, if you mix those up, then all of a sudden you'll have a works element that is involved in your conversion. Uh, meaning that if I can receive Christ uh, by my behavior, my faithfulness merits my salvation, then that means I can stay in a relationship with Christ because of my behavior right? It's my faithfulness that gets me saved and my faithfulness that keeps me saved. So now you have a works component that Paul taught against. He said again in second, uh, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. If I could get myself to heaven and keep myself there, I'd strut around and look, say, look what I did. <laughs> and God says, you're not going to boast in my presence. And so I'm suggesting to your heart that there is a difference between your faith, which is your belief, and your faithfulness, which is your behavior, and what this fruit of the Spirit will, will, will do. It will develop a behavior in your life that is powerful and that is positive, this aspect of faithfulness. And so faithfulness touches every area of life. Faithfulness is simply showing constant support, loyalty, trust. It's keeping your promises. Faithfulness is just doing what you're supposed to do. It's not rocket science. And God begins to develop those qualities in our life, and it's us, up to us to maintain them. Now, let me break it apart before we go home and give you a few things to think about when we talk about faithfulness. First of all, the greatest example of faithfulness is what I would call God's faithfulness to us. God's faithfulness to us. Think about this. You and I would not know him. We would not be in a relationship with God had he not first been faithful to us. 2 Peter 3.9, it says, he is not willing, he's not willing, it's not the will of God that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It didn't say many, it said any. When God loves the world in John 3.16, he loves the world completely to the point that he was willing to send his only begotten son. And I'm suggesting to your heart that it is the faithfulness of God to us that brought us into a relationship with him. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 says, he's long-suffering, not willing that we, should, that we should perish. In other words, God cuts us some slack. He gives us time. He waits on us. Everything that happens in life happens with a sense of timing. God is a God of rhythm. It's all timing. It's all timing. When Jesus came into the world, time and time again, uh, he would you know, escape from certain situations. It wasn't because he was afraid of dying. It was that he said, it's not time to die. <laughs> He'd say, it's not my time. 
In fact, when the time came for him to go to the cross, he said, my hour has come, my time has come. Everything he did, he did on time. God is never late. He's not late in your life now. He works off of timing. People come to terms with their faith with a sense of timing, an epiphany, a moment in life. And so God is long-suffering and God is faithful to us and he gives us the time we need to process where we are and especially when it comes to our relationship with him. So you see God's faithful to us to us in how it affects our salvation. But not only that, it affects uh, his faithfulness affects our security in him. There's an interesting verse in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, that says, if you deny him, he'll deny you. Matthew kind of echoes that in Matthew 10 that says, if you, if you deny him on earth, he'll deny you in heaven. Now, what does that mean? I thought once you're connected to your creator, that you're eternally secure. God's faithfulness keeps you secure. So what does 2 Timothy 2.12 mean? 2 Timothy 2.12 basically says that if I do not know him as my personal savior and I deny him and I die in that condition, he will deny me. Uh, the Bible speaks of this uh, unpardonable sin. You've heard that term? Uh, the sin that God will not forgive. I can break it down and tell you basically what it is. There's only one sin God will not forgive. It is the sin of your unbelief. It is the fact that I might die in a condition where I deny him and I reject him. The Bible calls it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, let's ask ourselves, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, when I ascend, the Holy Spirit will descend. And the role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will not be to speak of himself, but to speak of me. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convinces me that I need Jesus. It's not the power of my argument. It's not the persuasion of a philosophy. It is a work that happens in your heart. And everyone who's connected to your creator can tell you something happened in your heart. There was a moment where you were convinced that I need Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He convinces, he convicts. <laughs> He's that little preacher in your heart that says, you shouldn't have said it, done it, you know it, that wasn't good. And he convicts, and then he has the power to convert. He brings you into that relationship with God. So the point is, where you're watching this morning, whether you're online or on campus, it is the role of the Holy Spirit, if you don't know Jesus, to sweetly, lovingly take you by the hand right where you are and lead you to the cross. He takes you to the foot of the cross, and there at the cross you come to terms. Am I going to embrace the price Jesus paid on the cross and let him cover my sin through his payment on the cross? Or am I going to turn my back and say, I'll pick up the check. I'll pay for my own sins. And see, here's the dynamic of that. Jesus, think about this. Jesus, who was finite, I'm sorry, Jesus, who was infinite, suffered in a finite period of time. What you and I, who are finite, would have to suffer in an infinite period of time. So I'm just saying it's good to let him pay for it. And when you walk to the cross and the Holy Spirit draws you to the cross and you reject him, deny him, and you die in that sense, the Bible says it's like trampling under your feet the blood of Jesus. Get that imagery. It's as though you're walking past the cross where the blood of Christ was spilled and you just stomp it under your feet and say, that doesn't mean anything to me. I reject it. I deny it. I don't want it. And God says, that's the only sin that I will not pardon. And so I'm suggesting to your heart that in 2 Timothy 2, 12, he's talking about people who did not know Jesus who deny him. Because when you look in the next verse, it explains that. The next verse says, even if we are faithless, 
Even if those of us who know Jesus, we go through a period of time where we disconnect. It says, he will not deny himself. Meaning that once you know Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God comes into your life, meaning the person of God and the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit is in your life. Uh, Ephesians 1.18, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And God says, even if you are faithless, I know a lot of people who connected with their creator that walked away. Uh, that song that Susan sang just a moment ago, I Saw the Light, written by Brother Hank Williams. <laughs> uh, he wrote that song when he was 24 years old. It's one of the biggest songs he ever wrote. Hank, in the early years of his life, had connected with God. He knew him as his personal Savior. But the fame and the success, many who knew him say, send him on a different path. He got wrapped up in drug addiction and alcohol abuse, and it wasn't long until that was dominating his life. See, it's possible to have a saved soul and a lost life. By the way, it's possible to have a saved soul and a lost mind. The only time this body that I'm in, the only time it's going to be perfect is when we're in the presence of God. So Hank was struggling with some things, even though early in his life he had connected with Christ, sealed, I believe that, saved, I'm sure of that, based on his own testimony, and yet he became faithless. He went a different route. In fact, he was playing two shows in Minnie Pearl. Google that. She was a real person, kids. Minnie Pearl was worried about him. Hank was about 29, the peak of his career. And between the shows, he sat out in the backseat of his Cadillac, just stoned out of his mind. And she was trying to sober him up, and she was trying to help him. And so she started singing to Hank, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. And Hank looked at her and said, Minnie, I can't see the light. I can't see the light. And it wasn't long until he died. Well, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we deny him, those of us who know him, even if we go through a season of life where we are faithless, he will not deny himself. He will not deny himself. I'm just suggesting your heart, that's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. That's why I can rest confidently in the fact that I don't have to, before I go to sleep tonight, go, oh my God, what have I done that God may cost me my salvation and I'm going to go to hell tonight? I don't have to rack my mind with that. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. You say, well, I know, Bill, he paid for my sins that I committed up to the moment I received Jesus. Well, wait a minute. So the sins that you may commit in the future weren't covered at the cross. You have to get re-forgiven and re-saved to cover the sins you may forgive. So those sins, well, stop and think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, wasn't every sin that you and I would be in the realm of committing all in the future? Or did he just die for the Old Testament saints? The point is, he died for sins past, present, and future. He doesn't have to come back and go to another cross again because that cross satisfied the justice of God on sin for all time. So I'm saying, I'm, I'm at, now I have friends who disagree with me on eternal security. The difference between me and them is, I'm going to go through life happy. They're going to go through life miserable. And when the rapture comes, I'm going to say, I told you so. You were saved all the while and didn't enjoy it. 
So I'm just suggesting to your heart this morning that it is the faithfulness of God in bringing me to him, the faithfulness of God in keeping me in a relationship with him. His faithfulness is amazing. Another thing it ensures us of is heaven one day, a reunion with our loved ones one day. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 says, we believe Jesus died and rose again. And if we believe that, so we also believe that God will bring with Jesus one day those who have died. The hope we have of heaven is the hope uh, that is based on the faithfulness of Jesus. He will not fail us. Let me say this before I move off of that and close quickly. Suppose we were to all get to heaven one day and you not be there. Suppose that. All the people in heaven rejoicing and singing. And say, you know what I believe? I believe so strongly in God's faithfulness that I think he would stand from his throne and call all heaven to silence. And I believe he would bankrupt heaven and put the angels on half ration before he would leave one of his kids behind. You matter to him. His faithfulness to us. This series is about the second point, and that's his faithfulness in us. His faithfulness in us. He's developing faithfulness in our lives. I can be dependable. My word means something. I can be trusted. If I tell you something, that's how it is. I, I'm not perfect, but, but I can do the best I know how to do to honor my faithfulness. That's what he's trying to develop in our life. In fact, listen to this. Faithfulness is the key to fruitfulness. John 15 says, abide in me, abide in me, walk with me, partner with me, and, and you'll bear fruit. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus, the Bible says, called 12 to spend time with him so that he then could send them out to speak. You and I are not capable of speaking for him if we haven't spent time with him. You see the difference? In his presence is the power you need to do your purpose. So in, John, in Mark, uh, Mark 3.13, I spend time with him. He empowers me to go out and speak for him. In John 15, I abide with him. He does something in me. Here's the third thought. So ultimately, his faithfulness can be seen through me. See, you connect with your creator. He's faithful to you. He's doing something in you in his developing this faithfulness so that ultimately his faithfulness can be seen through us. Can I give you this? Your greatest ability, your greatest ability, what you bring to the table in your business, in your family, your greatest ability is your dependability. The fact they can count on you. The fact they know you're going to be there. The fact they know you are faithful. In fact, the Bible gives this principle, and I love it, in 1 Corinthians 4.12. He says, moreover, meaning above everything else, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be faithful. God said, the bar I've set for stewards is faithfulness. In the Bible, there are two types of, of people who carry out God's work. Uh, the Bible classifies us as stewards or servants. Now, we're all a little of both, every one of us. What does a steward do? A steward is a manager, an organizer. When the Bible says a steward should be faithful, that means a steward has management responsibilities, administrative gifts, uh, oversight. That's a steward. A servant, on the other hand, is task-oriented. They're worker bees. If you want the job done, give it to them because they will get that job done. They're a servant. Now, they're not good at organizing, but they're good at carrying it out. So the steward can structure and organize while the servant can carry it out. Now, here's, how the, here's what that looks like with us, and this is how God works through us. In the Bible, God uses two uh, methods of teaching. 
There, there are concepts in Scripture that we call precepts. Precepts. I mean, they're, they're, they're just absolutely no question. It's right there. I can read it for myself. Do this, don't do that. Precept. A precept is like uh, speed limit 55. Pretty clear. <laughs> That's a precept. Then there is secondly a principle. A principle would be drive friendly. What does that mean? Does that mean you smile? You, go, you wave when you're going down the road? What does, does anybody know what drive friendly mean? I know what speed limit 55, precept, Drive friendly is a principle. It's a generality. It's left up to the driver to determine if you're friendly or not. <laughs> well, in the Bible, a, a, a precept is clear. So in my role as a servant, I do what I'm told, right? I have the list. Precept. Do this, Bill. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Follow this. Follow that. That's, that, that I'm clear on. That's a precept. So as a precept, I, I follow it as a servant. Now, as a principle of Scripture, I follow it as a steward, meaning I have some freedom to kind of organize it, I can arrange it, I can figure out what, how that works for me, I can kind of, you know, I have a little more leeway, the Bible is not, it's a gray area in the Bible, I don't know, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, you know, I mean, I get the general idea, but I have some liberty and freedom to work there. Well, he's saying be faithful as a steward, be faithful as a servant. When you find a principle, be faithful in trying to figure out how God would have you apply that principle. When you run upon a precept, be faithful in how you follow his command or you follow his direction as a steward, as a servant. And it'll affect every area of your life. Faithfulness affects your relationships. Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful person in the time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a broken foot. You ever had a bad tooth or a broken foot? It says that's what it's like when you have confidence in someone who's not been faithful. In business, in a relationship, and listen, everybody has been burned by somebody. And there's a tendency you have when you've been burned is you pull in, you pull away, you insulate, you isolate. And that's not healthy. That's not healthy for you. But I'm just suggesting you, you can't change how someone acts. You can only change how you react but what you can do is say, as for me, I, I can, you know, I, I'm in control. I'm large and in charge of me. I'm going to do my best to be a person of my word, to be a person of integrity, to be a, be a person that's faithful. And when you do that, guys, it affects relationships. Relation, it affects resources. Luke 16.10, whoever is faithful with little will be faithful in much. You say, man, if I had a million dollars, I'd tell you what I'd do with it. I, I, I'd tell you what I think you'd do with it. You'd probably do the same thing with a million you'll do with a thousand. <laughs> if you manage a thousand well, you'd probably manage more well. That's the principle. He's saying, if, if you handle what you have, you can handle more. But he said, whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. I heard about a, a, a bank executive that was interviewing this young associate that wanted a job with the bank, and they were going through this cafeteria, and he noticed this young guy was pushing his tray along, and they came to this little stack of butter. Remember those cafeterias and had a stack of butter close to the cash register? And he took two or three of them, put them on his tray, and then as they got close to the, to the cash register, he just slid them under his napkin. And the, the, the bank executive was just kind of seeing that going, what? What's happening? And they get there and they begin to check him out and, and he keeps the little butter patties covered <laughs> and checks out. And the bank manager said, if a guy would 
would steal a nickel's worth of butter. I ain't going to hire him. Now, look, the principle's not saying pay for your butter. The, the principle is saying if you're dishonest in little things, you're going to be dishonest in big things. That's why we teach our kids early on, you got to follow, keep your word, you got to do this. And then he said in verse 11, if you've not been faithful in worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you've not been faithful and with the belongings of another, who will give you the belongings of your own? What is he talking about? Faithfulness, being good stewards of the things God's trusted us with. Here's the last thought. It has to do with being faithfulness. This faithfulness through us is how we handle responsibilities. Responsibilities. Responsibilities in secret things. Someone has well said, um, your character is who you are when no one else is looking. You heard that? Secret things. No one else is around, I'm still going to be faithful. No one else is around, I'm still going to keep my word. No one else is around, I'm still going to do the thing that I should do. I'm going to be faithful in secret things. When Michelangelo was painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, chapel, he had a friend that would come along and kind of see the progress he was making. And the friend noticed that he had spent a huge amount of time on a little niche up in the, in the, cha- up in the ceiling. He had been painting there a long time. And his friend walked around and looked, and he tried to see what he was working on. And he, and he, and he, and he told him, he goes, no one is going to see that. You're spending all that time in an area that no one can see. No one will ever know. You know how he responded? He said, I will know, and God will know. He was faithful in little things. And then the last one is faithful in sacred things. He was faithful in sacred things. Before the apostle Paul left this world, you know what he said? First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Revelation 2, God says, if you are faithful, if you're faithful, I'm going to give you a crown of life. God said, I'm going to reward your faithfulness. Friends, I cannot tell you enough about the value of faithfulness. Keeping your word, doing right by others. Can I revisit our baptism scene just before we go? Such a wonderful thing. Uh, H.D. and Maria are part of our church, and we've had the, the joy of, of helping them in this season of life to help out center, precious people. This has been a great week, by the way, for H.D. Um, he just got his green card. He's immigrated here from Brazil, so he was just on cloud nine this morning, and so we're so glad that we could help him. But then they found their next-door neighbors, just that sweet couple, Martin and Carol, and they were going through a hard season of life, too. And by the way, everybody's going to go through a hard season of life. What I've learned with what I've gone through in the loss of Cindy is everybody hurts over something. We hurt in different ways. And these neighbors were all hurting. And our church was able to step into the gap and help them where we could and how we could. And they noticed their neighbors were hurting. And so they went over and said, look, we can hook you up. We can take this one burden off your shoulder. We can, the church can help you with this area. And they, and they did. And while they were talking to their neighbors, they realized Martin, the man that you saw baptized, uh, 82 years of age, also struggling with uh, stage four cancer. And so these neighbors were a little concerned about their spiritual life and spiritual condition. So they shared Jesus with him. And Martin came to terms with Carol that they had never made that commitment to receive Christ. And so in their home, through the influence of their neighbors, humbled his heart, 
she humbled her heart and gave their hearts to Christ. And this morning, when Martin came up here, we took a little extra time, you know, with Martin. <laughs> Let me tell you about that 82-year-old Marine. He said, nobody's going to lift me and put me in that baptistry. I'm walking into that thing, and I'm walking out. You know what we said? We'll give him all the time in the world he needs to get in and out of that baptistry. Aren't you glad we did? And Martin, yeah. But can I tell you, here's what this goes back to. I didn't have anything to do with any of that, none of it. This goes back to a couple who connected into the life of this church because we were helping them in a season where they were hurting. They took that help and went home, and they found out my neighbors are hurting. And they said, you know what? We know a church that can help you. And they connected those neighbors to the church, and then all of a sudden, one of them had an epiphany. I wonder if they know Jesus. Honorable couple, wonderful couple, served his nation with distinction. And they shared Jesus. And that man and that woman who had never really humbled their heart, gave their heart to Christ, did. And then they came, and I said, now you need to get baptized. He said, okie doke, here we go. Here they were, and we just experienced that because of the faithfulness of God's people. Guys, it's not rocket science. It's just finding hurting people. We're not going to reach all of them. We won't reach everyone. We can reach who we can. You can't reach people until they get reachable. But if our church is situated in such a way that we can help people when we're hurting, they're going to beat a path to, these, to this building to try to get in here. Let me tell you what my heart is. I'm not preaching politics. I'm not preaching um, on a lot of stuff. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Is that okay? I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, it's not the White House. It's not the courthouse. It's the church house that God has ordained to change this world. And I'll stand on that, and I'll believe that and preach that. You're not going to change behaviors till you change belief. And when they reach, when they, their heart gets in the right place, when their heart is right, it'll affect every area of their life. But if all I'm going to try to do is get people to conform to some rule or some ritual or, you know, some routine without a transformation of heart, it's not going to be real. It's called hypocrisy. It's called legalism. It's called something I don't want to be a part of. So I don't know where that fit with everything else I was saying this morning, or even if it fit. I just felt like I needed to say that. Are we good with that? So, we kind of joke. I'm, I'm done now. We kind of joke about this. We, we say um, all the time, say, what's the worst thing that happened? Well, the worst thing that happens, everybody just leave. But you know what's incredible about it is when you start with nothing in a high school, <laughs> now don't do that. But if you start with nothing in a high school, that doesn't scare you so much. <laughs> you know, when you've been there where you had nothing and God's brought you so many things, nothing can threaten you and nothing can silence you and nothing can cause you to fear. The fear of man brings a snare. I fear one person and that's disappointing my savior. One day I want to stand before him and I want to hear him say, Bill, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you all for being here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've celebrated this morning, what we've experienced this morning. Thank you for the life change. And Father, I know um, throughout the ministry that you followed throughout your life, you didn't try to overthrow Rome. You didn't try to... <laughs> You didn't try to put down the most oppressive government of the then known world. Instead, you offered yourself a sacrifice. 
And you've told us to go and do likewise. One day, we know the government will be on your shoulder. We know one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But until that time, you've called the church to be your body. And so, Father, I pray we'll be faithful and keep our eyes focused on the main thing, and that's telling people about Jesus. And if there's one, Lord, I pray who never trusted you as Savior, I pray this would be that moment when, like that beautiful couple we baptized this morning, you will humble their heart and say, Lord, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those who need someone to pray for them before they go, I pray they'll come as soon as I dismiss. Let someone spend some time with them here at the front. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.